Amen, amen, amen. And we join with Dr. Hill and say, come Lord Jesus. <coughs> Sam, thank you for sharing your life and your testimony with us. We thank God for you. And we will prepare for you. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts and the thoughts of our minds be focused on you, Lord Jesus, and that way they will be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. When history books are written, the first two decades of the 21st century are going to go down as a decade where discrimination and persecution against Christians have begun in earnest in the West. In the West, mind you. In the West. You got that? Every day, it seems to me, I am hearing some news of somebody being fired because of their faithfulness to Christ and His Word. Every day from around the world, now all over the Western world. In the United States, teachers are being fired summarily because they refuse to teach godless ideology. Uh, in the U.S., a coach is fired simply because he knelt at the end of every game to thank God for protection. In Australia, an executive was fired for taking a stand on biblical authority. In England, in the UK, a woman works for the, for, for the British Airways was fired because she would not remove the cross that she was wearing. A friend of mine in Scotland, an executive, literally, I mean, he was heading up an organization. He was fired just because he worships in a Bible-believing church. A medical doctor in London was fired for praying with a patient at her behest and, 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 and acceptance, acquiescence, but her daughter didn't. She sued him, and he got fired. Now, I would be standing here for, literally for hours and just telling you one example after another of how this discrimination against Christians and focusing on Christians particularly how faithful believers around the Western world today are being dismissed from their jobs and blatantly persecuted. By the same token, just think about this, by the same token, church after church after church are falling in line with the pagan secular culture. Sunday schools in mega churches, instead of teaching the Word of God to children, they're teaching them socialism, social justice, and CRT. Bishops of churches, heads of denominations, are requiring the pastors under their jurisdiction on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, of all Sundays, for the pastors to preach 
on social justice, and the, not the resurrection, but social justice, and those who refuse can be removed from their post. This is in America, folks. Again, it would take me hours, literally, to give you example after example, a church after church that has surrendered to the gods of the secular culture. We used to think that Christians are persecuted somewhere over there in other lands. Now it's on our doorstep. In my personal belief, I always make sure that you understand when I speak personally, not from the Word of God, unless God intervenes, unless God's people wake up in time, unless the church repents, unless we seek God more than we seek our comfort and our safety, things are going to get worse, not better. And that is why Jesus' letter to the church in Smyrna, that's not Smyrna, Georgia, up the road here, it is Smyrna in Asia Minor. That is why this particular letter has a special significance for us today, this time, this day, where we are. Now, whether you live in Smyrna, Georgia, or you live in Brooklyn, New York, or you live in Oakland, California, or you live in London, England, or, 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 or Sydney, Australia, or anywhere in the world, wherever you are, this message is for every faithful believer everywhere. This message is desperately needed today for every faithful student in school, for every government worker, for every teacher, for every executive, for every person, and, and certainly for every faithful Bible teacher and preacher. Let me draw your attention to the screen where you'll hear Jonathan Youssef read Jesus' letter to the church in Smyrna from Smyrna, from the city of Smyrna itself, now called the city of Izmir. And make sure you get the cameras on that screen so that they can see the Bible reading. We saw in the last message the letter of our glorified Lord Jesus to the believers in Ephesus. It was a church that was biblically sound, but they've lost their first love for Jesus. They were doing things and even believing the truth, but all of what they were doing is not coming out of their love for Jesus. And Jesus was warning them that He removed the lampstand. Now here, the believers in Smyrna, they kept their love for Jesus, which caused them persecution. Now, beloved, listen to me. 
It is most often the case when your love for Jesus is real. Let me repeat this. When your love for Jesus is real, it will cause you suffering. It will cause you suffering. I want to remind you that in the Greek language, the word faith and faithfulness are almost the same word, the same root. Why? You say, because faith that is total trust, total faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and faithfulness emanates from each other. When your faith is totally in Christ, you'll become faithful. In trusting Christ, we prove ourselves to be trustworthy. Please listen. In fact, it is your willingness to suffer for anyone, for anyone, let alone Jesus, your willingness to suffer for anyone, your willingness to pay the price, your willingness to accept the cost for anyone is the clearest indication of your love for that person, let alone Christ. How can you prove your love to anyone, let alone Jesus, if it costs you nothing? And now we glibly, you see the people holding the sign, John 3.16, John 3.16, and, and we glibly recite it. We don't understand. We don't stop to focus what it means. It's, it's the very heart of the gospel for God so loved that He gave. Love always gives. Love always gives. By the way, this body of believers in Smyrna, one of two, one of two churches out of all the seven, one of the two churches, where you never hear Jesus condemning them for anything. You never see, hear Jesus correcting them even. You never see a rebuke. They were a great church. In fact, they stayed that way for well over hundreds of years later. I'm going to share with you at the end some of the history of that church because it's very encouraging to every one of us. The believers in Smyrna were hated by the world because they were faithful in their love for Jesus. That's why they were hated. And because they were hated, they were persecuted. And because they were persecuted, they loved Jesus more. I want you to look at the map again with me. Again, have that camera on the map because people watching at home, they might not be able to just understand. Here's Potamos. Again, we'll go over that, where John was exiled, and he's making the rounds. It's not quite a circle, but semicircle. The first message was to the church in Ephesus, the second one in Smyrna. Now, as you look at that map, this, uh, the city of Smyrna is now modern Izmir in Turkey, about 35 miles north of Ephesus, as you can see on the map. Smyrna was a great trading city. Smyrna, uh, as, uh, as you saw from the video, still, even on those many years later, still a beautiful city. In fact, it was called the 
uh, ornament of Asia. It was called the crown of Asia. It was called the flower of Asia. And it was founded in the year 1000 BC as a Greek colony. But about 600 BC, it was totally demolished. It was totally destroyed by the Lydians. And it remained desolate for 400 years until the Romans rebuilt it in the year 195 BC. Just remember that date. And because Rome rebuilt it, the citizens of Smyrna were so beholding to Rome, felt so indebted to Rome, felt so thankful to Rome. So the first temple they built was to the goddess Roma. You know, Rome was named after the goddess Roma. And that is why it was the first city in Asia Minor to build the temple to the goddess Roma. In fact, there was a joke at that time. People would say, these Smyrna's uh, folks, they are more Romans than the Romans. But that's not all. They built temples for every god they heard about. Any god they hear about somewhere, there's a good god that he does this, or the god does that, or does the other thing. They said, hey, build him a temple, whether it be Zeus or Sybil or Apollo or, 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 or uh, Nemesis or, or, or uh, Aphrodite. Just build a temple for them. Please all the gods. To mention just a few. Now, you say, Michael, we didn't get up and get dressed and come to church to get a history lesson. Trust me, there is a method in my madness. I'm going to explain to you why this is absolutely relevant for our day, today, where we are in this very moment in history. This is not a history lesson. These people who bow down to every miserable God they can hear about, that they heard about, these miserable people who worshiped so many gods, and every time they hear of a new god, they built a temple for him. The same people who had the temerity, they had the goal to call those who trusted in the one true living God, creator God, to call them atheists. Think about that. Let, let that sink in, okay? Is it sinking in? Hello? Is sinking in? <laughs> it will really help you understand that the devil has not changed one bit, that the devil has not changed his tactics in 2,000 years, in fact, ever. Today, the very people who preach the gospel of tolerance, 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 the very people who tolerate every miserable religion and every miserable belief system, the very people who wanted our kids to learn immorality in schools and perversions and the virtues of other religions, they are the very people who call Christians bigots. Satan never changed his tactics out of the mainstream. Think about this. Please, please, please think with me. Just think with me. The most loving people 
on the face of the earth, the most caring people on the face of the earth are called haters. Can, can you see this? Am I the only one who see it? Can you see it? Thank you. I was just beginning to think I'm the only one. I just want to show you how the devil's strategy and tactics is the same, and we are facing the same tactics of the devil today as they did in the church of Smyrna 2,000 years ago. Nothing is new. Nothing is new. He did it in the city of Smyrna 2,000 years ago, and he's doing it today in every western city in the 21st century. Hear me right, please. Satan is not only the god of confusion, but he's the father of lies. Can I get an amen? amen. He loves to create confusion in the minds of the masses, particularly the young people. Why, is he do? Why does he want to create confusion? So that they cannot distinguish between falsehood and truth. But here's the good news. Jesus said to the faithful believers in Smyrna, and He says to the faithful believers in the 21st century, two comforting words, I know. Say that with me. Say it loudly. Those two words fill me with joy and confidence and comfort and peace. I know your afflictions. I know you're being falsely accused. I know you've been deliberately being misunderstood deliberately. I know the price that you are paying for your faithfulness. Now, beloved, I happen to know that some families are not talking to each other. That in the past, we used to say we disagree disagreeably. That's gone. Members of the family do not want to speak to the faithful believing members of their family. I happen to know that their co-workers who have canceled their faithful Christian co-workers, cancel culture. Question, what happened to the gospel of tolerance? What happened to it? What happened? I also know that some are even paying heavier price, much heavier price than that. But what is immeasurably far more important of us knowing these things, far, immeasurably, far, 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 far more important, is that Jesus knows. He knows. He knows what the devil is up to in your life and in your family life and in your business life and in your church life and in your campus life. Jesus knows. And to make things worse for the faithful believers, Christian believers in Smyrna, the religious Jews who had exemptions from worshiping Lord Caesar they had official exemption. They turned on the Christians, and they were turning them in to the authorities. 
something they've done ever since they insisted on Pontius Pilate crucified Jesus. Listen carefully, please. What Satan's ultimate aim is this, and it's very simple, really. It's very simple. His ultimate aim is to zip the mouth and silence the believers. That's his ultimate aim. Listen to me. There is something that the devil, there's nothing the devil loves more than to close the mouth of the believers. The devil does not want you to witness to your faith. The devil does not want you to testify to the power of Jesus that saved you. The devil does not want you to testify to the power of Jesus that is working in you. So question, how does he silence the believers? How does he silence you? How does he try to silence me? I'm too big a mouth for him to try to silence. Thank God. Amen. By intimidating you into fear. That's what he does. He intimidates you into fear. Fear of rejection, uh, fear of alienation, fear of false accusation, fear of being canceled. (laughs) And the list goes on and on and on. But it doesn't matter. It all goes back to fear. And that is why the glorified Jesus' message to the believers in Smyrna, he said, I know. I know. And then immediately he goes on to tell us who he is, as if they really need to know who he is, as if they really need to be reminded who, as if we need to be reminded who he is. And the answer is, yes, we do. We need to be reminded every day, not just every day, but every moment of every day. We need to be reminded. And so he goes on to remind them, I'm the first and the last. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the one who was dead but rose from the dead, and I'm now glorified in heaven. Ah, because there is nothing that frightens away fear like who Jesus is. There is nothing that banishes fear like the power of the resurrected Jesus. There is nothing that exchanges fear for, with faith than experiencing the power of the resurrected Jesus. There is nothing that will give you confidence in the midst of trouble than fully trusting in the resurrected Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. The pagan population and the compromising religious Jews were saying to the Christians, a little incense to Caesar. What is just burning that little incense going to harm? That thing's not going to cause you any harm. What would it do? What harm can just a little nod? You don't have to bow all the way down. Just nod to Caesar. What harm? A little bit of compromise. Just a little bit. Not too much. Just a little bit. <laughs> you, can, you can bow to to Jesus on Sundays, but then during the week, would you need to live and let live? Come on now. <laughs> Just bow a little bit. Give in a little bit. To all that, the believers in Smyrna politely said, no, thank you. <laughs> 
No, thank you. Then the heat was on. The pagans and the compromising religious people began to say to the faithful believers in Smyrna, you're going to lose your jobs. You're going to become poor. You're going to become destitute. You're going to become alienated from your neighbors. You're going to become a pariah in your family. You could even lose your life. You know what they said? Here's a Yusuf translation. Bring it on. (laughs) Bring it on. And Jesus is saying to every one of his faithful children, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first Greek alphabet and the last in the Greek alphabet, just in case you don't know this. As it was, I'm the A and the Z and everything in between those, those letters. I am the beginning and the end. I am the one who had risen from the dead, never to die again. I am the only one who defeated death and the grave. I am the only one who has power over death. I am the only one who has power to overcome death. So bring it on. Bring it on. Even the religious Jews who believed in Yahweh in order to save their own skin and to get on the good side of the pagans, they turned the Christians in, handed them over to authority. And that is why verse 9, look at it with me. I'm going to explain it to you because it's very important. It's very important you don't misunderstand that. In verse 9, Revelation 2, Jesus called them the synagogue of Satan. That does not mean they're worshiping Satan. I want to explain this. Very important. He called it the synagogue of of Satan. It's in the same way that Jesus called Peter, his chief apostle, Satan. You got that? He comes, get behind me, Satan. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. You calling Peter? Your great chief apostle, Satan. Yes, and that's in the same sense, in the same vein, when he calls this the synagogue of Satan. Why? Because they're doing Satan's bidding. They were doing Satan's bidding. When Peter tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross and fulfill the plan of God the Father in life and in the future, in the history of the world, when he tried to stop him and tried to get him to bypass the cross, he said, this is what Satan has been trying to get me to do. And that's why he called him Satan. It doesn't mean that Peter was Satan any more than this, this synagogue worshiping Satan. Have you ever asked yourself the question? Have you ever asked yourself the question, why is the natural man, this is man and woman when I talk mankind, <laughs> why is the natural man hates the gospel of Jesus Christ so much? And I'm talking about the natural man, whether it be religious people or non-religious people, because there are many religious people who are in the natural. They've never been regenerated. They've never been born again. They've never been born of the Spirit of God. Have you ever asked yourself, why do they hate the gospel so much? Do you want to know why? One person wants to know why. Do you want to know why? Thank you. (laughs) 
<laughs> got to have an interactive session here. <laughs> I want to tell you why, whether you want to know or not. <laughs> because the gospel of Jesus Christ exposes man's sin and guilt, and the natural man doesn't like that. The gospel of Jesus Christ reveals the judgment and the wrath of God that is coming upon those who refuse to accept God's only remedy for guilt, and they hate that. The gospel of Jesus Christ announces that man, no matter how brilliant he or she may be, they cannot save themselves. And oh, the natural man says, I'm the captain of my ship and the master of my life. And they hate that. The gospel of Jesus Christ announces that it is only, only, only through the cross of Christ that anyone can be forgiven and receive eternal life. And the natural man refuses to accept that. That's the bottom line. Listen, they can go around the block a few times and take you around the block with them and argue and the red herring and the smoke screen and all that stuff. That's the bottom line. And because of their rejection, my beloved friends, listen to me because that thing breaks my heart in two. Because of their rejection, what many a preacher today is doing is they took it upon themselves to water down the gospel so it can be acceptable to the natural man. You see, they took it upon themselves to modify the truth of the gospel. Uh, They will make whatever changes that are needed to be made in order to make the gospel palatable to sinners who refuse to repent. The whole movement in the evangelical uh, uh, movement in America, the whole movement is basically dedicated to making the gospel to be murky and mucky and muddy. They call it being ambivalent. The whole movement, sweeping a lot of churches, just be ambivalent. We don't know what's right and what's wrong. We're not really sure about what is right and what is wrong. It's called ambivalence. The whole movement started on being ambivalent. Any fool can do that. (laughs) And so, they want the pagan culture to at least be indifferent and not hostile, because they don't want hostility. Ooh, we don't want him. We we, we want to be liked by by the culture. Really? If you want to be liked by the culture, be very careful. Be very careful, because there's another... There is a God in heaven who's watching. What are they doing? What are they doing? They are trying to escape rejection by the pagan culture. They are trying to escape persecution and discrimination. They are trying to get to, to avoid cancel culture. They are trying to be loved by the pagans, and they are desperately wanting to be accepted by our pagan media. They do. Have you heard the term celebrity preacher? Have you heard that? Or preacher to the celebrities? Oh, yes. Be very careful. Be very careful when you see a preacher agreeing with Oprah Winfrey. 
Be very careful. He wants to be loved by the world. Be very careful when you find a preacher want to be loved by the women on the view. <laughs> be very careful. Want to be loved by the enemies of the cross. I don't call them the enemies of the cross. They call themselves the enemies of the cross. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this, please. Here, the resurrected, glorified Jesus wants all of His faithful believers, all His faithful children who are facing trouble, He wants them to know that Jesus wants all of His frightened children to know that Jesus wants all His timid children to know that He alone, that He and He alone has all the power. Secondly, that He and He alone knows all things. And thirdly, that He and He alone has a purpose in everything. And these are my three-point sermon. I haven't stopped preaching yet. This was just an introduction. Don't panic. <laughs> but since Jesus made this clear and this message clear, I want to at least touch on these three things that He does here. First of all, that He has all the power. Don't you ever think that power is in Washington, D.C. They're daydreaming. They have no power. All the power is in Jesus. Don't ever think that the politicians have power. They are powerless. They're all a mouth, and once is dead is dead. All the power is in Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus wants to remind them of His power, and He's saying, I was there before the creation, and I'm going to be there when it's all destroyed. No one comes before me, and no one comes after me. I created it all. I control it all. I died, and they thought it was all finished. But on the third day, I rose again. I have defeated, I have defeated the most powerful enemy of all. And you need to know that I've defeated death and the grave, and all you need to do is trust me. Trust me with all of your heart. Trust me with all of your life. Trust me with, your, with all of your intellect, and I'm going to bring you through whatever suffering you may experience. I will bring you through whatever affliction you may go through. I'll bring you through whatever temptation you might be battling. I'll bring you through whatever false accusation leveled at you. I have all the power, Jesus says. He has all the power. Who has all the power? Jesus. Secondly, I told you not to panic. Secondly, He knows all things. He knows all things. He doesn't only know what troubles you. He doesn't only know what afflicts you. But He's holding your hand in the midst of your affliction. You may not be feeling His grip, but He's holding your hand in all of your troubles. And Jesus is saying that whatever confusion and affliction you might be going through, I have been there. 
I have been there, and I've been through worse. People might call you poor, but I call you rich. People might call you ignorant, but I call you knowledgeable. People might call you bigot, but I call you loving. (laughs) Do not listen to their false accusation, because I know. I know the truth. I know the truth. Not only that he has all of the what? Not only that he knows all, but thirdly, he has a purpose for everything. He has a purpose for everything, for every step. He has a purpose. When the devil tempts you, he tempts you so that he might try to destroy you. But your sovereign Lord, your sovereign Lord Jesus, the resurrected, magnified, glorified, soon coming to reign and rule Jesus, He turns your temptation into test so that He may give you victory. Look at verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution. Watch this. Watch this. this. Are you watching? Watch, Watch this. Watch what's coming. Watch what's coming. Watch what's coming. For 10 days. (laughs) For 10 days. What does that mean? It means that it is only a limited time. It cannot go on forever and ever. I may allow the evil to, to prosper for a little while, but only so that the judgment will be greater. What Satan means for evil, I'm going to turn it for the good. Whatever Satan tries to destroy you, I will turn it around to bless you. Whenever Satan designs to work against you, I will make it work for you. Why? Why? I think Jesus would answer, don't put words in Jesus' mouth, but, but I know because He said that in John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. Those whom the Father has given, has given me, I will lose none. That's why. That is why. That's why He holds you in the palms of your hands, and nothing, nothing is going to happen to you unless He says so. All of their persecution, all of their false accusations, all of their harassment, all of their discriminations, all of their lies will amount to nothing. Will amount to nothing. Say that with me. Will amount to nothing. And they are doomed to failure when you put your whole trust in who? The Alpha and the Omega. I want to conclude by telling you how amazing this church, and this wasn't just during that time and then went by the wayside like other churches. That church stayed faithful for a long time. I'm going to show you from history. As a matter of fact, the pastor to whom this message was delivered was persecuted and died for Christ. That pastor in Smyrna was ordained by the Apostle John himself. But the man who succeeded him as the pastor of that church, that was about a year 156. So think about it. It's almost 100 years. 100 years of continuous faithfulness. 100 years of continuous faithfulness. And it is my prayer for this church 
that way after the Lord takes me home, that this church will stay faithful to the Lord and to His Word way after I'm gone to glory. If, if, if Jesus delays His coming, <laughs> the Bible said, He who comes does not delay. 156 A.D., there was a pastor in that church by the name of Polycarp. Polycarp, at the urging of his congregation, he left the city. But when they tracked him down, he would not flee. He would not run. Instead, he held a feast for his captors. <laughs> he held a great feast for them. He asked him only for one thing. Before you take me for my execution, I need two hours to pray. They agreed. After praying, he said, okay, we're ready to go. And on the way to his execution, the commanding officer pleaded with him. He said, and I quote, swear by the genius of Caesar, and I will let you go. To which Polycarp made this would become famous and become comforting to believers from 156 A.D. to this day. He made the following statement, quote, for 86 years, I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Then when he got to the proconsul, the proconsul said to Polycarp, he said, recant or I'm going to send you to wild beast to beasts to devour you. He said, call them. And then he said to him, he said, the, the proconsul said, since you made light of the beasts, I, I, I will have to destroy you by fire unless you recant. Or when he did not, would not deny Christ, angry Jews and Gentiles alike, gathered wood to burn him at the stake. He asked only for one thing. Do not fast me to the stake. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to go away. Just do not fast me to the stake. As he prayed, I'm only give you a summary of his prayer. O Lord, Almighty God, Father of your dear Son, beloved Son, Jesus, through whom we have come to know you. I thank you for continuing. I thank you for counting me worthy this day, an hour of sharing the cup of Christ and be among the number of your martyrs. When the fire was lit, a wind blew away from Polycarp and burned the spectators. 
In the end, they had to kill him with the sword. Beloved, how much does Christ mean to you? How much does Christ mean to you? How much does Christ mean to you? Father God, I'm beside myself and thinking of the faithfulness of the church, members of the church in Smyrna, In many ways, I'm incredulous when I think of the incredible faithfulness to you, Lord Jesus. And here, we live in such comfort that we think we're great spiritual giants when we come to church late and leave early. Oh, God, forgive us when we nickel and dime you with our time and with our money and with our talent, forgive us. Give us the faith of Polycarp and many others who are so faithful to you through the years. For Lord Jesus, as we were reminded a few moments ago, without you, we're not able to please you. Without your strength, we are weak, and without your adequacy, we are inadequate. Breathe in us, Holy Spirit, afresh, and renew us for these coming days that the world will see men and women, boys and girls, who are lit up for Christ. For I pray this in His name. And all of God's people said, Amen.